This is the second week of our summer series, Against the Grain, and we're going to have a concert of worship. We're having a concert of worship this weekend. We like to do worship concert weekends like this a few times a year, so if you're a lover of the worship music, then you came on the right weekend. If you're a guest with us today, please know this isn't normal. Normally we have a longer message right now, but I'm going to be breaking up the message today with more worship music so we can focus on the act of congregational worship. We feel like it's healthy for a church to do this, and it helps us to test how we're doing with our relationship with God. How are we feeling towards him? Are you emotionally connected to him? Are you feeling gratitude for what Jesus has done in your life? Or maybe something's blocking you or holding you back. And you may know what's holding you back, or you may not know what's holding you back. And during this time, you can ask him to bring something to mind. What's stopping me, God? And, and as it comes to mind, write it down. And that can be homework. Uh, if you're not sure what to do with that, then shoot me an email or shoot a pastor an email, and, and we'll talk about that. If your first love is the sermon, I am going to be teaching throughout the worship experience. It's just going to be broken up. And for these weekends in the past, I've focused on specifically on worship. But this week I'm going to be talking about a couple aspects of worship, which are joy and peace. If worship is a diamond that lasts forever, then joy and peace are two facets of that diamond. And they reflect the character of God as characteristics. Two of them are joy and peace. And so we receive those from God when we love and obey Christ, like it says in John 14, 23. Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. If I had a life verse, if I said, This is my, what I always go back to, then this would be it. John fourteen twenty three. In it, God is saying, Once I've accepted him into my life, he is with me. He's made his home in me. He lives in me. I have his Holy Spirit now, and it's permanent. And one of the biggest benefits to us of God making his home in us is that we get this thing called the fruit of the Spirit, which are qualities of God's character that he gives to us when he makes his home in us. Galatians five twenty two and 23 talks about it. It says, The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But today I'm going to be focusing on joy and peace. Because we get those through worship. So worship, the definition of worship is the act of reflecting on God and rejoicing in who God is and what he's done for us. And then living in that gratitude daily. Tim Keller writes that the definition of joy is the buoyancy that results from the enjoyment of the unchanging privileges that we have in God. It's the buoyancy. It's this ability to have, that we have to stay afloat on top of all the stormy waters of life. It's not about being happy all the time. It's about being unsinkable. It's buoyant, delighted, joy comes from the hope we have in Christ and because of his death on the cross and resurrection, but also for the future we have in him, the responsibility he gives us and the life he has for us. The opposite of joy isn't sadness, 
because we are sad at times. Christ was sad at times. He wept. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. Our hope is in our future with him, which gives us joy and delight, no matter what, the, what storms life throws at us. And Christ says nothing can take that hope away. So we have joy from hope, from what we find in God and our future in him. And love, peace, patience, kindness, these are communicable attributes of God. Communicable means you catch it like a communicable disease. Some attributes of God are not communicable. We're not omnipresent. We're not going to get that from God. But these are attributes of his character that we do get. So communicable means it's like when you're married and you have a good relationship with your spouse and you're around them all the time and you're kissing and eating and sleeping and then they get a cold virus and you get a cold from them. That's communicable. You catch it from them. So the Bible says there are attributes of God that you catch from him. The parts that are contagious about God, when we get near him, we catch these. That's what's exciting about what God has done is he's transferred all of these things, these aspects of his character to us and all at once when we accept him into our lives and he makes his home in us. Ezekiel talks about this, thirty-six twenty-six. It says, I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit in you. I will take your stony, stubborn heart out and I will give you tender, a tender and responsive heart. And with this new spiritual heart and the spiritual spirit of God inside us, God transfers these characters into us all at once. The fruit is all of these together. And what happens is, when that happens, we're immediately at war. There's a war within us. And the writer Paul talks about this war. It's what our sinful flesh wants. The Bible talks about jealousy, envy, selfishness, hostility, these come natural to us. And then the attitudes and motives of our new heart that God gives us are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And then we go about our lives choosing between these two halves. And there's a war within us. We grow into what God made us to be as we make these choices. In Peter 2, 2, it says we grow up in our salvation and become the person God already made us to be. It's about growing up into this new person. So instead of saying, oh, I'll never get there, I'll never get there, we have to realize we're already there. It's already in us, and we're growing into that. No matter what age we're at, it's in us already, and we grow into that. So let's continue to worship, to reflect on who God is, and respond to what he's done for us, and ask ourselves, what might be blocking me from choosing to act on the desires of God's Spirit? If you're not sure about the war thing, then just try to pray for 30 days. Then make a commitment to read your Bible for 30 days. Or fasting. Jesus says, when you fast, there's an expectation there. And so this is a, a big part of who we are. And let's let's sing that out together.
remains Should I stumble again Still I'm caught in your grace Everlasting Your light will shine when all else fades Never ending Your glory goes beyond
there's a sense in when you become a Christian that you don't lose all the struggle, but rather your struggle takes place in a different way. You actually lose the old fight and you develop this new one. You have to keep this in mind. The Bible tells us before you were a Christian, there was struggle in your life. You were fighting with God. You made God your enemy. But he's a mighty, wonderful adversary. He tries to save all the people that are killing him. And you, that may sound strange. You may be saying to yourself, I don't think I was at war with God. Why does the Bible say that? And here's an example that I think uh, helps us understand. It's a story about a little kitten. He's on a stone in the middle of a big creek. There's a big storm going on. And he was obviously thrown there by someone. The waters are rushing around it, and the kitten can't get to safety. And he was stuck. He was wet. He was in the middle of a creek, and he was scared to death. A bunch of young guys were trying to get him, and they were going out to him. And as they tried to get him, of course, what did the kitten do? He's thinking, somebody else is going to try and drown me now. He was at war with anybody who tried to get him. He bit and he scratched. And fortunately, he was small enough that finally one kid decided he would just pick him up. And he was going to take all the cuts, and he would take all the scrapes, and he would take all the scratches and the little tooth marks. They weren't going to be that bad, so he decided to take it. And of course, then comes this kitten, just absolutely screaming and kicking and trying to kill the person who's trying to save him. And that is the picture the Bible gives us of our natural state, our initial state with God. That's the way we're born. In Romans 8, 7, it says, The natural mind is at enmity with God. It cannot love the law of God. It cannot submit to the law of God. It, it can't. It's incapable of it. And before we choose Christ, we're often living our lives like that kitten in relation to God. And once we've decided to follow Christ and he's no longer our enemy, we then have the world telling us through culture and commercials and people around us to live one way, which rarely lines up with these characteristics that God gives us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, humility. You didn't know you were fighting with God, but what you were doing was living primarily for yourself rather than living your life to do what you were built to do, which is to worship God. All human beings were built to worship and glorify him. That's our purpose. We're built to center our lives on him, and instead we center our lives on lots of other things because we enter life and center it on lots of other stuff, we experience breakdown in our lives. Philippians 4, 4 through 9 talks about how, we, how to have joy and peace. It says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So what does the Bible say about peace? This is the classic text, and it's actually pretty simple. 
The Bible says peace is the confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. The opposite of peace is anxiety. So so you might be saying, what's the difference between joy and peace? The answer is joy is the opposite of hopelessness. Joy has to do with delight, with mirth, with being up. Peace has to do with steadiness. And the opposite of peace is not hopelessness or despair. The opposite of peace is worry or anxiety. Peace, therefore, has to do with this confidence in God's control of your life. I remember back when I was in college, I'm from Eugene, Oregon. I'm a duck. So let that settle in for a little bit. I went to college in Eugene, Oregon. So that pretty much, you can just imagine, it's like athletes and hippies. Athletes and hippies. Okay. So I, I, when I was, one of the kids that I know, he said this the other day. I, I was in college in 19, you know, 96 through 2000. And he said, oh, that's the 1900s. And I thought, wow. That's how my kids are going to think of that. I interviewed, I, I, just, I grabbed a camera and I decided to interview a bunch of people on campus about what they thought Jesus was like. What was he like? And one guy who was in one of those groups, he probably smoked a lot of stuff. He, um, he said, Jesus was probably this really confident and comfortable guy because he knew he was the son of God and he had confidence in who he was and who God wanted him to be. And he said that, you know, most people's responses were just really lame. And he said that, and I thought, man, this guy gets it so much better than I do. And uh, he's just a pothead, and he just nailed it, you know. He just, he just nailed it. And he had this great grasp, I think, on Jesus' state of mind. Jesus had peace in who God had made him to be and God's control of his life. And then he, and then he displayed these characteristics God's characteristics, peace, patience, kindness, they just flowed out of Christ and they flowed out of this peace that he had. A person who has confidence and stability and sort of a calm, no matter what, that's what we want. That's what we're desiring. There's no doubt that the world doesn't really understand that, though, and what that should look like. What what we really want, what we think of when we think of peace is we think of the Marlboro Man. Someone like the Marlboro Man. Like this, this guy who's just always cool. Nothing really gets him down or up. He just lighten a cigarette. And the way you can tell that that example of peace is not, it's a counterfeit of the spiritual fruit of peace is because it exists by itself. A person like that is not tenderhearted. He's not loving. He's not super approachable. He's not humble. Love, joy, peace, patience, these things are aspects of a whole. So they're going to happen together. And when we try to artificially manufacture something like peace, it's at the expense of joy and love. So what artificial peace looks like is cynicism or apathy, a way of hardening your heart so you just don't care. Or you, you have to disconnect from your emotions do, we know pe- do you know people who have disconnected from their emotions? I know a lot of people that way. It turns you into this kind of Marlboro man. And the only way you can really be sure 
that a person's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that is not counterfeit, is that it happens altogether. Because there's symmetry about them. They grow together, and only the Spirit of God can create them together. Only the Spirit of God can create this emotional, sweet, loving, tender-hearted, generous person who's also self-controlled, absolutely dependable, absolutely rock-solid, absolutely peaceful. And by the way, that doesn't mean that we get there right away. We just don't come that, come that way when Christ gives us a new heart. We grow into that. But they grow together. That's why we say peace is confidence and trust in God's wise and good control of your life. And it comes from worship. It comes from thinking on those things. Or put it like this. You can either talk to your heart in a way that is worship, or you can just listen to your heart. And what is your heart always saying? Your heart is always saying stuff, stuff like, oh no, what's going to happen if I don't have this retirement? Or what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen to my kid if he does this? Your heart's just telling you that kind of stuff all the time. That's the initial heart that we're given, that fleshly heart that the Bible talks about. And you can sit and listen to your heart and just get more and more anxious. Or you can talk to your heart like David does in Psalm 42. As we see David a lot, he's depressed. And he says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And who is David talking to? He's talking to himself. He's talking to his heart. He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. So peace and joy, they flow out of worship. They come from our worship. That's how they grow. From talking, talking to your heart about who you are in Christ. That's what we're talking about. When we talk about identity in Christ, we're talking about these characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit that God gives us in our hearts that's growing. That's our identity in Christ. That's what this series is about. It's who God made you to be because he put his spirit and his character inside you. And as you worship him and choose to act on those desires that God put in you, the noble, the pure, think and act on these things, their, their worship, we reflect on them. We sing and praise our, our God who is the source of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. And to be able to grow in hope and joy and to enjoy God and to be excited by the thoughts of responsibility that God's given us in eternity and what he has for us in our future, that's the essence of joy and peace. For a lot of us, especially if you're a new Christian, maybe this stuff that I'm saying today might seem far away or just theoretical, like a nice theory. Oh, that's nice, Brandon. It's nice that the Bible says that. A little pat on the back. It's not concrete enough to you, maybe. Or you hear what I'm saying, maybe it's possible. You know, you might know some Bible history or you might know some Christian history and know that people died for this. And they were rejoicing when they did. The Bible talks about it. So it must be true. But the problem is, how do I do this? How do I make it concrete? How do I put my hope in eternal and unseen things and the glories of who God is? is and who I am in God and this identity in Christ that you're talking about, these, this fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. How do I choose that and grow into that? It doesn't seem very concrete. C.S. Lewis has a great quote I'm going to read. He talks about this very thing. He says, the schoolboy beginning to study the Greek 
grammar, can't look forward to his adult enjoyment of Sophocles as a lover looks forward to marriage. He has to begin his schoolwork by working for Marx to escape punishment or to please his parents, or at best, in the hope of a future good he cannot presently imagine or even desire. He gets it gradually. Enjoyment creeps in upon the mere drudgery, and nobody could point to a day or an hour when the one ceased and the other began. If you're a musician, or an artist, or an athlete, or a fisherman, or any of the things that we do, You can understand that it has to grow. You have to get better. At first, it's work. You're doing a lot more fishing than catching before it transfers over into this place of joy and freedom. Lewis says, Nobody can point to a day or an hour in which the enjoyment finally overtakes the practice. He says the Christian, in relation to heaven, is as much in the same position as this schoolboy. Poetry replaces grammar. Gospel replaces duty. Longing transforms obedience as gradually as the tide lifts a grounded ship. The cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is a Monday morning. A cleft is open in the pitiless walls of the world, and we are invited to follow our great captain inside. It's the following of him which is the essential point. Follow him. Go to him, and you'll receive joy. We're like a ship that's run aground. We've been built, we've been made by God to go out to see and worship God and enjoy his presence and find a joy and a peace in what he's done for us and how he loves us. Let the waters, the tide of his love come up and take you out. It will creep up on you. It'll run over from the struggle eventually. And if you follow him, that's the essential point. We go to him and he'll give us a joy based in hope. This hope is in a future, and that hope can't be taken away from you, and that future can't be taken away from you. I'm going to pray for us. God, I pray that this idea and this understanding of what you've already given us, what you do give us with our faith, that it grows, and that we choose it. We choose it as we come to church. We choose it as we worship. We choose it as we respond in our lives to everything that every response is worship because we can turn to you and say, thank you for what you've done in our life. I have hope in the future you have for me. I have peace because of what I know is to come. Pray that that would grow in our church and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So like us to stand and sing this song of commitment. We've never done this song at Journey before. I'm excited about it. Let's stand together and sing it. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back.
Stain, he washed it white. 